Hey, Megan. Hello, Michelle. How are you today? I'm good. Better than the last time we recorded. Yeah. Yeah, me too. A little bit. Yeah. Settling into new normal. Yes. Uh, You should explain what that means. Yeah. You think we should address some of that fucked up shit we were talking about from before? Yes. I think it would be healthy to address it. So two weeks ago, my dad passed away and it was completely unexpected and rocked our world pretty good. He had a heart attack while I'm on vacation with my mom down on the Oregon coast. And everything since then has been kind of a whirlwind blur of horrible shit. Well, it's the aftermath, right? Yeah. And I know, Megan, you lost your mom in a very similar way. Yes. I lost my mom on Christmas Day 2017. Also very unexpected. Best we can tell, she had an aneurysm. That's what they think happened. Mm -hmm. It was a shock. I know that you and I have talked about how neither one of us picked up the call. Yeah. When it came in. I was asleep. Yeah. And I, it was the evening of Christmas. I had a lot of people over. Of course, I didn't expect to get that call. Right. We had dinner and we were playing games and I didn't pick it up because I didn't recognize the number, even though I knew it was a number from Montana. Then I got a text from that same number saying, I need you to call me. There's an emergency about your mom. And I got a weird feeling in my stomach. Mm -hmm. And then before I could even call, my sister called me. and told me that they had found my mom unresponsive and that paramedics were there working on her. Then I got a call. It's kind of a blur, but I think like 10 minutes later from my sister again, letting me know that she had passed away, that they weren't able to revive her. So also very unexpected and shocking. And I felt bad that I didn't answer Mm -hmm. that initial call. Not that it would have changed anything. Right. Or not that I had any idea how serious it was. There's a guilt associated with that, with not not being there and not not being available in that moment. And so we've talked about this, how it seems like when someone passes away, especially when it's unexpected, there always tends to be some guilt wrapped up in that grief. Mm -hmm. Like, what if I had done this differently? Or Mm -hmm. what if we had chosen to do something different that weekend? Or what, you know, what if, what if, what if? You can what if it to death. And wish you would have made different decisions. So not answering the phone on something that you can't control is probably the least of those. But it's my understanding that part of getting through that grief is recognizing that you couldn't have foreseen what was going to happen So you can't really beat yourself up for making decisions that you made because Mm -hmm. how would you know? Right. I talked with my therapist about that particular thing, feeling uh, some guilt that I didn't pick up the phone, that I was unavailable. And she did her best to tell me to knock it off without poo-pooing it because it is a real thing. Right. But she also kind of explained where that comes from, which I found really interesting. She was saying that essentially when something happens that's so out of the expected, that's a shock, our brains will do anything to try to make sense of it, up to and including taking all the blame on ourselves as a way to control the situation to say, well, if I had done this differently, then it wouldn't have happened because we need some semblance of control so badly that even if it's a really negative, horrible thing to do to ourselves, we will go to those places and do all those what ifs because then we feel like it's not as out of control. Does that make or sense? Or unfair. Yeah. When I was looking at the five stages of grief, it was saying that anger, it goes denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And anger is the stage where 
where you're typically feeling like it's not fair. Why did this happen? Who can mm-hmm. I blame? Even if you're assigning blame to yourself, you know, like you need there to be a reason, someone, something that caused it. So right. you can direct that anger somewhere. Right. Yeah. Those stages of grief. I know everyone's heard those at some point. Yeah, everyone's um, heard about the stages But of- those are based on the uh, Kubler-Ross model that was developed in the late 60s by a psychiatrist named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I found it interesting, I didn't know this, that she originally developed those stages to describe the process that patients with terminal illness would go through as they come to terms with their own deaths. And it wasn't until later that we all started applying it to other people, to people grieving the loss of someone else. Yeah. So both of us talked about, you know, my mom and your dad passing away, both at a pretty young age, Mm -hmm. unexpectedly. It seems to me that sudden unexpected death is so much harder on the people that are left behind. And I hate to use the word easier, but I guess that's the word easier on the person who passes away. Mm -hmm. Because it's not a prolonged, drawn out, dehabilitating illness, which not only is more painful and difficult for the person who's experiencing it, but also painful and difficult for family and friends to watch. Right. When my family was able to get through all of our emotions, we all seem to agree that although we were very sad that my mom passed away unexpectedly, the fact that it happened so quickly. And on a day that she was surrounded by people that she loved having a great time and having a great day, and was in her sleep. Mm -hmm. It's weird to say, but it's kind of like something to be grateful for. Because it doesn't seem that she experienced a lot of pain and trauma. And, you know, we didn't have to watch her suffer. It's just a tremendous shock to have someone in your life one day and then all of a sudden in the blink of an eye, they're gone. Yeah, I don't know how to make sense of it. Well, do you agree? Like, do you think that losing your dad suddenly is better than having him get diagnosed with something like cancer or something that you had to watch? Or do you think it would have been better to have the time? Well... To say I mean, goodbye. I, I do know that knowing him, he would not have wanted that yeah. at all. Um, and we've my family has also talked a lot already about how it was a blessing for him to be able to just kind of pull the ultimate Irish goodbye. The Irish exit. <laughs> yeah. Is that what it's called? The Irish yeah, exit. the Irish, Irish goodbye. When you peace out of a party <laughs> without saying goodbye to anybody. Yeah. Yeah, that was totally him. And he didn't suffer. He didn't. He didn't have to go through that drawn out, horrible process that he would have absolutely not wanted to do. So I think easier in that sense. But for those of us left behind, the shock on top of the grief, when you don't have any time to mentally or emotionally prepare yourself, it's so hard to get your head around it. That's not to say that there's anything, quote, easier about something happening the other way, because then you might have time to get your head around it. But you also have to go through all that time of suffering watching your loved one suffer that's really fucking hard too i mean none of this is sure easy obviously there's no loss that's easy i also think unexpected death sometimes carries with it other unique circumstances like i guess i would say death in an unnatural order like for example my mom predeceased both of her parents Mm -hmm. i remember seeing my grandparents at the funeral home and just thinking to myself i can't even fathom what they're thinking right now because you don't ever expect to go before your parents and she certainly never expected that it was really hard for them and so 
I think that while it is, I guess, easier on the person who passes away, there are things associated with unexpected death that are more challenging, like you know, unnatural order, what I just mentioned, trauma, there's usually trauma surrounding Mm -hmm. unexpected death, because the person that is with the person who passes away certainly isn't expecting that the person who finds them isn't expecting that. If someone tries to resuscitate them, they're not expecting to have to deal with that, right? It's a lot of emotion and adrenaline. There is a trauma component that If you're somebody who's directly affected by the trauma associated with the event, you also have to deal with that at the same time that you grieve. Right. And that's got to be really hard. I mean, I was not there, obviously, when my mom passed away because I got the phone call. But my family members that were, my heart just ached for them. Yeah, I think that very, very few people would come out of a situation like that without PTSD. Sure. Honestly. And I would just hope that anyone who's been through something like that is, you know, willing to talk to somebody and get some help. I mean, that is one part that I think is harder. Like if you have watched somebody struggle and fight for their life, and I haven't personally experienced this, so I don't not trying to speak out of turn or say anything insensitive. But usually by the time they pass, it seems to me like, although it is still devastating and sad, people are prepared for it. And if it happens in a hospital or at home with, you know, a hospice nurse there or something, it's not only expected, but it can be a lot more peaceful because they try to make them as comfortable as possible Mm -hmm. versus the unexpected passing that's shocking and traumatic for the people that are there when it happens or shortly after. I don't think there's any less grief involved at all. I think it's the it's it's the trauma added on. It's just drawn out over time. Yeah. So when you guys were all together after your mom died, did you find, like, are you the kind of people that found yourselves making jokes that others might find inappropriate? Oh, yeah. Humor can really get you through Mm -hmm. a tough time, but that's kind of how my family is anyway. We always joke about stuff. If something's awkward or uncomfortable, we just make jokes. We cracked a lot of inappropriate jokes. Yeah. It kind of helped us, you know, laugh and cry at the same time and get through a lot of things. And I think that the guy at the funeral home thought that we were a little weird when we first came in there (laughs) because of the inappropriate humor. But then by the time we were done with them a few days later, he kind of liked us, I think, because we were not so. But I mean, I even remember like, uh, this is highly personal, but it's a good example. We had a private viewing for my mom and, you know, she didn't really look like her Mm -hmm. to our family. And my family knew that my grandparents would be doing one more viewing the next day. And that's their daughter, you know. And so my sister and I went in there before they did. And we fixed her hair the way she normally did. My sister fixed her hair and I put makeup on her. When I was putting the makeup on her, I was like, don't move, mom. You know, like (laughs) saying shit like that. And we were kind of giggling. Yeah. And we put her glasses on her and everything. And then it was great because she looked just like her then. And so then when my grandparents went in and saw her, she looked just like her. And we told my siblings to maybe go back and see her Mm -hmm. and my dad again because it was a little um, more comforting to see her. Yeah, it's jarring to see. Yeah. So anyway, even in that moment, you know, the most sensitive, raw, personal moment, Mm -hmm. humor can get you through. And I just think that for us anyway, sure, there was plenty of sadness, 
but being like morose and super dark and down and not having any humor, it would have been too heavy. Mm -hmm. I don't think we could have gotten through without. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. There's a lot of tears and we've managed to find a lot of laughter. Um, One of my favorite things that's happened in the last couple weeks is that after my dad was cremated, my mom requested that his ashes be put into a large Folgers can, a la The Big Lebowski. Nice. That was his favorite movie. It's a cult classic generally, but for my family, it's a big deal. So we knew that he would really appreciate that. That little bit of humor. (laughs) Yes, I can see that for sure. Yeah. And as it turns out, we found a bunch of documentation that he and my mom had worked on over the last few years about how he would want to be remembered and how he would want, you know, if he could choose how his last days should be spent and how his remains should be handled. And it legit says in this document, cremate me and put me in a Folgers can. Just don't put me on the mantle. (laughs) So... (laughs) So she made that choice for him before you guys found that document? Well, it's not the first time they thought about it. They had talked about this sure, stuff. Sure, they probably had discussions. Yeah, and she'd seen this document before, and but it had been a while since anybody had looked at it, so maybe he'd changed it. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, that's pretty fucking funny. That's another example of right injecting humor to help you cope. Yeah, we even took a photo of me and my brother where he's holding the Folgers can and I'm behind him and the poses are exactly John Goodman and Jeff Bridges from The Big Lebowski. It's like that exact, you know, still of that scene and we recreated it. (laughs) It's a good bonding moment for you and your brother. It is. It sucks that it takes something like this to kind of bring everybody else closer together um, and really make you realize what's important. But it does. It does. It does, though. I mean, definitely, I felt very close to my family in, you know, the week immediately after my mom passed. Another thing I will say is when somebody passes away that you're close to or significant in your life, it's very humbling, first of all, because you realize that life can kick the stool out from under you at any Mm -hmm. given moment, and your whole world can get rocked, and things can change, and a lot of stuff is beyond your control. And so it's really kind of your weakest, most vulnerable moment. So the people that are kind and supportive in that moment, Mm -hmm. it's really huge. I mean, I can remember the smallest things from after my mom passed away that just blew me away. Like, for example, this guy that I work with that works in another state who I don't even, well, I know him pretty well now, but I didn't know him that well at the time, sent me the nicest card, like Mm -hmm. handwritten, super nice card. And I was just like so touched that Mm -hmm. he was just such a nice person that he would take the time to do that. My childhood friends, like my best friends from growing up, showed up at my mom's memorial. And it was supposed to be kind of like a drop in open house type situation. They came with their families and stayed from beginning to end and helped clean up. And it was just like, I felt so much support from them. And just people that you don't expect to hear from, you don't expect to see, all these people reaching out. And really that support does really lift you up and make a huge difference. People may not think just like sending a text or a card or something is impactful or hugely impactful, but it really is. Absolutely. I've been blown away with how many people have reached out to just say they're thinking about me, that they're so sorry, check in and see how I'm doing. 
it's it's almost overwhelming because then I want to respond to everybody. And of course, I miss some people and mm-hmm. everyone understands that yeah. nobody's expecting right. anything right. in that moment. But it has meant a lot to me. And so I you know, want to make sure that I'm showing people that gratitude. Yeah. So you get all that support. And obviously, you get the most support from the people who are like your people, right? right? Your close friends or family or whatever. I remember when I had a friend that was grieving a loss once, and I was her primary support person. It was a very sudden, sad loss, and it was very emotional and hard. And being that primary support person for Mm -hmm. my friend and the family was overwhelming also. Yeah. But of course, I would never indicate that or do anything to demonstrate anything other than I'm here all day, every day for whatever you need. Just tell me. But I remember my friend Stacy saying something to me that was really insightful. She talked about how important it is to have support for the support person. Absolutely. Like, you know, at the time she was saying that my boyfriend, because I was younger, she wanted to make sure that I was getting good support from him because it is so emotionally challenging. For example, let's say your uncle passes away and his surviving spouse is your mom's sister. So your mom is being the primary support person to her sister who just lost her husband and is devastated. And she's spending every day there and helping her with paperwork and legal stuff and funeral arrangements and cleaning out his stuff. She needs somebody like her husband or somebody else to give her support because that's a lot to absorb, Mm -hmm. right? I think it's worth mentioning because if you know somebody that is supporting someone else during a loss, make sure that they have somebody to lean on as well, because it's a lot to carry on someone else's behalf. Definitely. That was something I talked with my therapist about as well. Because while this is my loss, I feel like not that there's a competition, but my mom gets to win this one. You know, I'm grieving the loss of my dad. But I'm also trying to really keep it all together and help my mom. Um, (laughs) This is where I'm gonna start crying. My brother and his wonderful girlfriend and I have really tried to kind of, you know, pick up the slack. Right. Um, And I know my mom really appreciates it, but it's weird to feel like I'm in, (laughs) oh, like I'm in both of those positions. Right. You are. You're setting aside your own grief, which may come in waves later. Or in times where you allow yourself because you think the timing is okay so that you can support your mom. That's natural. You're a good daughter and your brother is a good son and that's what she needs from you guys. So you're going to do it. You are in both positions. You're a primary support person that needs support. And then you're someone who needs support because you just lost your dad. So I'm really glad you're here. (laughs) Oh, me too. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. Thank you. I'll even hug you. Oh, my God, you guys, I have that recorded. You all heard it. Yeah, I'm watching you support your mom. And I'm glad you're doing that because she really needs it. We tried to offer my dad a lot of support as well when my mom passed away. But you need to make sure that you let yourself feel that love and support from people and be lifted up by it when you need it. Because this is a big loss for you too, obviously. So yeah, 
That actually reminds me of something that I wanted to talk about because this really struck a chord. I was reading an article from goodtherapy.org about grief, loss, and bereavement and some definitions around types of grief that I hadn't really heard of categorized before. We should Um, probably explain what bereavement is. Yeah, so it says grief is a reaction to any form of loss. Bereavement is a type of grief involving the death of a loved one. So specifically kind of what we're talking about here. Apparently there are two main styles of grieving, which I didn't really know, but makes sense. Most people display a blend and do both at different times, but instrumental grieving, it says it has a focus primarily on problem solving tasks. This style involves controlling or minimizing emotional expression. And intuitive grieving is based on a heightened emotional experience. This style involves sharing feelings, exploring the lost relationship, and considering mortality. And I've seen my whole family go in and out of both of those things. Right. And really, like, be task-focused and get shit done. And Because mm-hmm. the amount of shit that there is to do when somebody dies... It's amazing. ...is unbelievable. Yeah. It's crazy. And so many things you just would never even think of. So it's a shitty thing to have to talk about and think about, guys. But do it. You have to think about it. You know, talk to your parents about it so that there are answers to these questions before it's too late. Speaking of that article, another part that I thought was really interesting was when they talked about disenfranchised grief. Mm-hmm. And yes. disenfranchised grief is when somebody's mourning is restricted in some way. It said it's primarily when society stigmatizes their mourning process or refuses to acknowledge their loss. So here's some examples of grief that might be disenfranchised. Uh, one is you know, society devalues the loss. Like, for example, if somebody loses a pet and they're very sad and grieving that because, you know, maybe that pet is part of their family or whatever. Mm -hmm. And other people would say like, well, it's just an animal. It's not a person. I've been guilty of that myself because I've just never been a total pet person. Yeah. And so for me, not that I thought it was silly, but I just kind of didn't get it mm-hmm. when people would be completely heartbroken as if a family member died. Yeah. It didn't make sense to me. I know you haven't had them very long, but now that you have animals, do you feel like you can understand a little bit more? Um, yes. I also would like for the record to state that the timing of getting these little kittens was just perfect. And they have been such comfort to me in the last couple weeks. That little emotional support kitty. Yes. Okay. Another example is when the loss is ambiguous. The example they gave is when an adopted child grieves the loss of their birth parents, even if they are alive, or if a loved one has late stage dementia, people might feel like they're grieving as if the person is already gone. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking when we were talking about an unexpected death versus something more drawn out is that they've spent so much of the time that that person is still here kind of doing a lot of that grieving. Right. I've heard people say that too, who've had family members that have severe dementia or Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. that, you know, they grieve the loss of that person when they can no longer remember them. Because it's not the person that you knew and loved, really. It's not the same person. My grandma was, went through that and yeah. It was really, really hard to watch. Okay, another example of disenfranchised grief. Society stigmatizes the circumstance of the loss, like a pregnancy loss, a miscarriage, especially if the woman who has a miscarriage feels guilt or shame. They might avoid telling people about the loss so that they're not blamed for Mm -hmm. it. Two more. Society doesn't recognize the person's relationship to the deceased. 
So like if it was a coworker or somebody like that that passed away that you're still grieving, people might think, well, that's sad that your coworker passed away, but it's just a coworker. It's not like you right. lost a family member or something. Right. And then the last one is others do not consider the person capable of grief. So I thought this was interesting. It says, yeah. when young children experience loss, adults may misinterpret signs of bereavement. They may believe the child is not capable of understanding the loss or have prolonged feelings about it. People who have cognitive impairments or intellectual disabilities may also have disenfranchised grief. That hits home for me. My ex and I told my kids that their papa had died the morning after it happened. And, you know, my daughter's 11, um, and we could really tell that she understood it. She didn't want to break down in front of us, but she got it. Mm -hmm. And then my son, who has autism, had a couple minutes of kind of an emotional reaction, but in a very still and quiet way that was just out of his usual uh, behaviors. And so I knew something had gotten in there. Mm -hmm. But since then, there's been no real show of emotion at all, mm -hmm. except that he hasn't asked where Papa is when everybody else is around. And so I know it's in there, but it's really hard to see. Like, I don't know exactly what's going on in there. Well, your daughter, it sounds like and from what I know about her, this doesn't surprise me, <laughs> practices that instrumental grieving that you talked about. Yes. Yeah, she's not an emoter. No. <laughs> I recall when I told my daughters that my mom had passed away, they were very sad, and they definitely cried. And that was hard. But honestly, what's just as hard is even now, randomly, in random moments, you know, a memory will come up or something. And they'll say, I miss grandma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been a few years, but it's still just like, oof. it's hard to hear them say that because there's nothing I can do about it. And she is missing out on right. seeing things that they're doing and how they're growing and changing. But, you know, grief is not really something that you get through and then you're all done and it goes away. No. There's a wound there that mm -hmm. doesn't always fully heal. So there's a woman who I think her name's Nora McInerney. And she's something of a grief expert. She lost her husband and her dad within two weeks of each other, I believe. And she was pregnant with their second child at the time. Jeez. Yeah. And something that she said in a, I think it was in a TED talk that I saw a couple years ago, I guess, was that you don't move on from those people and those relationships and that grief. You move forward with it. It's just always going to be there. It's a part of your new life, mm -hmm. but that it does get easier to carry. Mm -hmm. It's never not there. It just gets easier to carry. Well, it's kind of a piece of you after yeah. that, right? We have talked a lot about how people that are grieving in the moment after something happens immediately get this overwhelming crush of support from people. Mm -hmm. It feels so good and it's so impactful and helpful. But then what ultimately happens is that people display the amount of grief and support that they think is appropriate. And then they go back to Life their goes on. regular lives, mm -hmm. right? And the people that are the most impacted, their life is forever changed. Right. And so everything is maybe even harder. What I've heard from some people is that it actually gets harder because when the person passes away initially and you have all this stuff to do, which is a lot of work, but it's very distracting. Keep you busy. You have all these people around you. 
you have all these people cooking for you and cleaning for you and doing everything for you to support you so you can just be and try to move through that moment and then everyone goes home. Right. And you're still in that empty house or whatever yeah. has changed. Your life is still forever changed, but those people are all gone back to their regular lives. So we've talked about how important it is to reach out to people maybe like a month or two right. months after they've lost somebody because a lot of that support has probably left the building yeah. and they might be needing some help. Also, you know, in that first year, the year of firsts is what I yes. called it after my mom passed away like her first birthday first mother's day yeah Yeah. the first holiday the anniversary of her first death Mm -hmm. which also happens to be a holiday for us right getting through that year of first kind of sucked yeah and i always had people that would reach out to me on those days and say things like thinking of you today blah 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 Mm -hmm. something kind and supportive and it really is harder the first year after i think on those days subsequent years it's not like they feel good but the year of firsts is hard yeah it's been interesting i've kind of watched the wheels turning in my mom's head as we've all been going through this and i can see her making mental notes for like the next time that she's trying to support somebody going through something what do you think she's noted well they were at my house and saw several beautiful bouquets of flowers And my mom was like, these are beautiful. She's like, but they're all here at once. And then they're all going to die. And then what? Mm. And I could see her like making a mental note like, okay, so send flowers a month later. Right. I saw some other things that I thought were worth mentioning for those who are offering support to someone. Mm -hmm. One says, don't be afraid to say the deceased's name or mention them. Huge. I mean, it's the topic of the hour. I mean, it's why you're there, right? So it actually is not hurtful to hear someone's name. I found it kind of soothing and hearing stories about them. Mm -hmm. I think is soothing. So yeah, don't avoid the topic of the person who's deceased. That's why you're providing support. Well, and even going forward, you might not be providing support anymore. But you know, a year down the road, four years down the road, whatever, letting the person who has really lost them know that you still think about this person is a good thing. Like it's important to them to know that that person lives on in your memory. I think a lot of people don't want to say anything because they don't want to like bring it up and remind somebody of what they've lost. And guess what? They think about it every fucking day. You're not going to remind them of it. They're already thinking of it. They're just going to feel like nobody else remembers and they're going to feel like that person's been forgotten. Um, Another thing it said is if you're offering to help, don't just say, hey, can I do anything? Because then that puts too much on the grieving person. And they often don't know what they need. Yeah, to like think of tasks that need to be done when maybe they're not even managing that. You're supposed to be specific when you offer to help. Like, hey, I'd like to bring you dinner. What night? Or, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm here and I see that your dishwasher could be unloaded. I'm just going to jump in and do it or whatever. If you're vague and like, tell me what I can do, that's actually not really helpful. It's just like another thing for the person who's grieving to have to address. Yeah. It's funny. One of the things on this list here says, don't ask, how are you? Because the answer is obvious. The answer is not good. And not only have so many people asked me that and immediately said, that's a dumb question. Yeah. But I asked my brother that (laughs) the first time we talked after I found out. And I immediately was like, well, that's a dumb question. Like, I know he's not okay. It's just, it's the thing that comes out because you don't know what to do, but... I mean, it says, say, how are you feeling today instead? But I don't know. I mean, I think that's a little too nuanced for me. If somebody asks you, how are you doing? And you know 
that they know that you just went through this horrible thing, obviously their intention is to ask you, how are you doing and managing yeah. all this and yeah. your emotions about this? So, I mean, I don't really think that's that Well, I rude. think it's so... It's not rude. It's just, it's really rote. There's a routine aspect to any person just asking, how are you, to any other person because it's as casual as somebody behind the counter at the fucking grocery store. And we all have our rote responses to that as well right? Like today on the phone, somebody asked me, I had a meeting this afternoon at work and somebody asked me, how are you? And I was like, good, how are you? And I was like, no, I'm not fucking good. Yeah. But I also wasn't going to get into it and like take up her time. And don't you think like tone and intonation says a lot too? Like if somebody asks you in a very caring way, like facial expression, voice, whatever, that how are you is going to be different than just like, how you doing? You know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think that a huge thing is to avoid any judgment because everybody does this differently. There's no one way to grieve. There's no fucking playbook. Even the five stages of grief aren't linear. You don't necessarily have to go in order. You can bounce around. Like you can be in denial and then be depressed and then go back to angry. I mean... And um, and you can end up in each of those stages ad nauseum. Like you can just be in them all a bunch of times. Right. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross later in her life, she noted that the stages are not a linear and predictable progression and that she actually regretted writing them in a way that was misunderstood to be as such because it meant that people thought that there was a way they should be doing it and that they, like were, if I they, they were doing it wrong. moved through this one stage right. yet, I can't feel this other thing. Right, exactly. And it's not at all how it works. You're going to bounce around. It's going to take you a different amount of time than it takes somebody else. It's going to... Do you think it's probably kind of circumstantial, too? Like, sure. if somebody is killed by a drunk driver mm-hmm. in a car accident... I think there's going to be a lot more of the anger phase and grief than, you know, somebody sure. who has a heart attack and passes away. Nobody caused that. I'm just saying that if you can specifically point to someone else and blame them and the death could be attributed to a result of their carelessness, there's going to be more anger. So, Well, and there are also cultural components um, because... Depending, oh, right. Depending who you are, where you are, what you believe, you probably are going to approach the entire topic of grief differently. Um, I know that specifically Eastern versus Western cultures um, here in the West, we tend to be more afraid of dying. We treat it as a finality and a huge negative thing. And so we have a lot of anxiety about death. Whereas in some Eastern cultures, it's treated more as just a natural part of life, which of course it is. But consider it like a transition period, right? Right. Um, Rather than an ending. Exactly. And so they are able to maybe celebrate a little more and, and not be as afraid of it, I guess. Right. There's more anxiety when you think it's just an end rather than a transition. Yeah. So which stages of grief, if any, do you think that you have experienced over the last couple of weeks? God, um... I haven't hit acceptance. Mm-hmm. I've bounced around between the other four. Okay. I think so far, denial's been the strongest. Yeah. Because I just can't get my head around it. Mm-hmm. He was at my house two days before. He was fine. He was playing with my kids. And yeah. he had just gotten back from one little trip away with my mom, and they were going on one more because it was their anniversary. It just doesn't make sense. So I think I'm probably mostly still in denial. I remember experiencing that too when I found out that my mom had passed away because I had just talked to her that day 
and mm-hmm. my kids had talked to her and, you know, it was all happy, Merry Christmas, thank you for the gifts. And yeah. we all chatted for a while and she was in a very jovial, good mood. And so it was just weird to process that seven hours later. She's just not there anymore. Right. It's a hard thing to accept. Right. Yeah, I'm definitely not there. I think it'll be a long, long time. I do think that it's really worth mentioning that um, we often paint denial as a bad thing, full stop. But some psychologists with expertise in trauma, this one in particular, Ronnie Jennifer Bullman, had talked about how denial can be healthy in moderate amounts because it's the brain's way of dosing itself. It's like your brain will only let you accept as much as you can handle. Right. It's making sure that you don't get too high a dose of the grief before you're ready for it, basically. And I think part of this is like the humor we were talking about, having those moments of being able to have some lightness and find some humor. Not that you're necessarily in denial, but it's your brain can only take so much. And so you need to kind of temper it with something positive or something escapist. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of it like that before, but that makes sense. I will tell you that, you know, obviously I'm further out from this than you are. We both lost a parent fairly young. Our parents were the same age when they passed. Yeah. And I probably think about my mom every day. I have a lot of memories. um, And there's still things that happen all the time that I think Oh, my mom would love that. Right. Or the kids will say something and I think she would love hearing that or whatever. So it's just like you said, something that becomes a part of you that you move forward with that stays with you, not something that you ever finish getting through and then you move on without it. It's just something that changes you a little bit and just adds to, you know, we always talk about people that have experienced more in life have more depth and humility. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, experiencing loss is one of those things that adds to somebody's depth and humility. And yep. it teaches you a lot about yourself and what's important to you and certainly puts things into perspective. So yeah, absolutely. I'm still right now in a place of thinking of all the things he's going to miss. But I'm also finding myself incredibly grateful for that last day that we had mm-hmm. two days before he passed away, that my kids got to interact and have fun and be silly with their papa. Yeah. And don't you find that it makes you grateful for the people that you do have absolutely with you here, like your mom and your brother and your brother's girlfriend, who's basically a part of your family, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. Brian, put a ring on it already. <laughs> oh, again, <laughs> moments of levity. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bummer episode, guys, but this is some real raw shit. I wouldn't call it a bummer. Okay, I'd just good. call it like a raw, real mm-hmm. expression of what you're feeling. And it's we always say right we try to keep it real, right? Yeah, so that's where I'm at right now. This is what's happening. Let's cheers to your dad and my mom. Cheers. Take care of yourselves, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>